Welcome to Acquiring Minds, a podcast about buying businesses. My name is Will Smith. Acquiring an existing business is an awesome opportunity for many entrepreneurs. And on this podcast, I talk to the people who do it. Today, I talk to Neil Saxon. Neil and his wife acquired a mental health group practice. You see businesses like this or other health-related practices for sale quite often, so I was eager to hear what it's really like to buy one. Neil explains it all. I learned a ton from him. He also shares a couple techniques learned along their journey that took them from incremental growth to more of a hockey stick. For the first six years, they grinded it out, and then year seven, revenues really shot up. So listen for that. Here he is, Neil Saxon. Neil Saxon, thank you for joining me today on Acquiring Minds. Thanks for having me, Will. Neil, you and your wife in 2012 acquired a mental health group practice. It was a small practice at the time, about 10 or 12 clinicians. But over the subsequent eight years, you grew the practice really quite a bit. And it wasn't without some serious challenges, which we'll get into. Uh, But ultimately, I think... You'd agree it was it was quite a success. So we're going to hear that whole story today. Why don't you kick us off, Neil, with two or three minutes just on you and your background and what it was that led you to want to go out and buy a business? Sure. Thanks, Will. So uh, I guess to start, I'll tell you where I'm at now, and then we'll sort of walk backwards. Right. So mm-hmm. as of today, I've been a retired um, person for for <laughs> about a year, and I'm I consider myself an investor. So I spend all day you know, analyzing my investments, everything from stock market, rental real estate, um, portfolio of syndication, real estate as well. And then just starting to get into angel investing. So that's all the fun, glamour stuff you get to do when you have money. But it was <laughs> certainly not always like that. Uh, there was there was a lot of before. Um, you know, going back, I was out of high school, I joined the military and I ended up staying in the military for about 10 years. And I was an officer in the Navy. And my wife was as well. We actually got uh, married in college or out <laughs> after college, sorry. Mm-hmm. And uh, we both joined the military and we had like that leadership background. Um, and when we got out, it was time, obviously, to join the world. Let's see where we're mm-hmm. at. It was 2007. We were just on the brink of the financial collapse. I was interviewing at banks of all places. So that was interesting. I ended up not selecting a bank and I went medical device sales. I worked for a company people may have heard of called Johnson & Johnson. Did that for about six years. and But really the whole time, I was like a secret kind of closeted entrepreneur. Like I really <laughs> wanted to get out and do something. Uh-huh. The timing just didn't quite work out. Um, so took the corporate job, did that for a while, and eventually got the nerve up in 2012. And we saw this listing for sale, which we can get into. And uh, I went into acquisition business buying and we bought the the practice so when you say you saw this business for sale i assume you were looking for businesses for sale so so what what had gotten you interested in in doing that and separately if you were interested in buying a business and becoming an entrepreneur that way had you decided against building something from scratch i had not decided really against anything it was a lot of it had to do with funding and kind of what i could take on at the moment so yeah. when I first came out of the military, you know, I did a brief stint, um, you know, before I took those interviews of, you know, let's look at franchises, like franchising. Mm-hmm. That's how everybody gets rich. That's what I thought at the time, you know, and uh, did a couple of those discovery days you do. And somehow I just kept getting like 
into food. I don't know why, but I just kept going to like these restaurants. It just seemed easy to understand. Mm -hmm. And I quickly realized that was not me. I mean, it was, that looked rough, just spoilage dealing with all that. So, you know, put it off, but still had, had those inklings of, of wanting to do it. So in, in the time I was working at Johnson and Johnson, you know, I was always, I wouldn't say always kind of that last 18 months, I heard about a site called biz by sell. Mm-hmm. Right. And I know it gets a lot of flack these days. Um, but I got to tell you, I love buying things that are for sale. It's just yeah. a lot easier. You know, I've read yeah. some books and it's talking about sending out flyers and, you know, basically all this cold calling. I had none of those skills. I was, whoops, I was, uh, I was ready to look for something that was for sale. And I came across when we were on Thanksgiving dinner, um, I came across a mental health practice. Now, the whole time, my wife is a psychologist. She had nothing to do with this wanting to go into business at the time. But I happened to find something, mental health practice. We had just been talking about her job and how, you know, for the amount of education she's got, we didn't feel like it was enough income. So, you know, I woke her up from her nap, let her her know. Thanksgiving turkeys wearing off. I said, Hey, we got this business for sale. And uh, it's kind of gave me the nod. Okay, sure. I sent off. Uh, I <laughs> she was still still drowsy from the, from oh, the yeah. turkey, I guess. Yeah, she had no idea what I was talking about. And <laughs> I filled out the NDA. The broker got back to me pretty quick, which I learned is actually rare. But but yeah. I had a unique experience like this person was on it, even on Thanksgiving holiday. And so, you know, that's obviously the end of November. And by Christmas, you know, we had, cl- we were closing, we were coming out on closing like a January close and we were, we were business owners. And was this a, something that you guys were going to dive into full time or was this something you're going to be able to have on the side? And also what was the listing price? Give us some of the parameters of this, of this business. Sure. I guess that's important because, you know, people need to realize what's possible for me. I was searching, um, up to 150,000. Mm-hmm. Cause I didn't know how this was going to go down. Um, this business was for sale for a hundred thousand at the time. Mm-hmm. And so we liked, you know, we liked what we saw. It was a hundred thousand, the clinician, it was a clinician that owned it was running it. And she was, you know, claiming to make about 120,000. So the idea is, all right, well, we'll go in. It's sort of like a buying the job at worst case scenario. Yeah. We always knew we'd figure it out and grow it, but it was a worst case scenario. You'll go kind of have this job. You'll make 120 grand. All right, sweet. Let's go for it. Made our offer. And of course we suddenly had a competitive offer and we went back and forth sort of like on real estate and we ended up paying more. We did this. Um, we didn't have more money, but we made this, this offer I thought was unique at the time. We said, we'll pay you 120, but we need seller financing. Mm-hmm. Even though the other people's offer, they told us it was like 105. But I just thought, let's go above and beyond. Let's make one, let's go 120, but let's get this financing. So we did. And we ended up having to put 50 grand into the business through cash, just from what I had saved, bonus checks, you know, getting ready for this. And then we did the other 70 left over through seller financing. And we paid that over three years. Oh, great. So you only put 50 down and then, and then the rest. So that's whatever that is, like 60% seller financing. Great. And so the idea was that you worst case scenario you were buying a job, or you guys were gonna you guys were gonna get in and start working in the business from day one, or only if you absolutely had to and you're gonna keep your day jobs. No, she was definitely, I mean, I think from the get-go, obviously she's gonna go hardcore and try to run this and grow it. 
Um, mm-hmm. It was sort of the fallback was, all right, well, it makes, you know, it makes 120 grand. That's still better than what you're currently being paid. Yeah. For me, unknown. I still had this job. Um, yeah. It wasn't enough to support, you know, me leaving at the time. It was a, you know, six figure job, but it was, depending on how it go, you could make 150 in a year, you can make 225 in a year, just based on how commissions were. Um, yeah. So we weren't, I wasn't quite ready to leave that, but definitely jumping in with, all of my energy. I mean, being a married couple, we discuss it at night. It's on the weekends. You know, for anybody that's thinking about going into entrepreneurship, I wouldn't say you have to love it. It's not always a love thing, but you definitely have to be into it enough to want to discuss it. Right. So it's going to be on your plate a lot. Um, yeah. So that's where we were. We thought we'd buy the job. You know, you're making 120. It's going to be great. Everything's going to be exactly what the seller said. Yeah. <laughs> So what'd you find? Well, we did that first meeting. You know, we were anxious. We we did the typical new business owner parade where you tell everybody you're not going to change anything. They're all amazing. It's running great. We're going to keep it going. And we did that. We did that speech. <laughs> and, <laughs> and really quick, really quickly, we learned that this business doesn't make 120000 this business doesn't make a dollar. Like this is bad. Like it was bad. It was, it was really bad. Um, payrolls are coming up and you know, you're having to fund it at that time. I think payrolls were like maybe like 15,000 every two weeks. Mm-hmm. And it's a, you know, you fast forward three months into this, it's like every single payroll I'm depositing, you know, two grand, 2,200, 1400, just down to the wire trying to make a- it out of your own pocket. You mean, out of our own pocket, out of yeah. our own pocket, yeah. And it was, uh, I'll say one thing, if you get into a business like this, that's sort of, I'll call it on the ropes. Uh, it's nice to have the superpower of being able to do one of the tasks. So my wife is a clinician. Yeah, She could just turn the notch. She can go see patients. She knows how to grind. She can work 10 hours a day. So, you know, we didn't have any kids at the time. That's what we did. She, she, she did the grind to make up the difference. Yeah. Um, you know, you could do it if you're a great salesperson, you know, depending on the industry, what the job is, but you know, you gotta be able to do something more than just accounting and strategy. Yeah. Something that's revenue generating is, you know, it really, it really saved us. Um, and so, Neil, what, what had the business misrepresented or, or kind of mischaracterized to claim 120 in profit and really not be profiting at all? I think you're an echo in my head because that's what I was saying to myself every (laughs) month. We're like, we're asking that exact same question and you just could not figure it out. And over time, you know, we learned, I mean, there were some, some things going on. There was some people not reporting all their um, revenue. Um, There was, you know, there was, there was stuff that needed to change. We needed a culture change and we needed it fast. But mainly it was, the margins were just off. So typically, you know, you get into this, this world and it could be similar with chiropractors or dentists, you know, but in our world, it, it's like a split the time of 1099s. So it's like a 60, 40 split. It's a 70, 30 split, you know, depends where you go. Mm-hmm. When we were there, it was, you know, we took it over at 70, 30, meaning the clinician takes 70, mm-hmm. the business takes 30. Mm-hmm. But then there was another clinician that had a sweetheart deal that was getting 80. And there was another one that was getting 90. You know, and these were these these turned out to be 
the highest producing clinicians. So we had our highest producing revenue at our lowest margin. Yeah. So once that math, and that was, that was unavailable to us during due diligence, you know, going back, if I looked at it now, I would have looked at quality of earnings. I would have, I would have nailed it. I would have figured it out. I've gone through this enough times. At the time, I didn't. You know, we sort of leaped in. It's, it's amazing to look back and think, "Oh wow, we did like twenty days of due diligence." We must have really <laughs> wanted this. Yeah, <laughs> we were really confident. So, uh, which is crazy now, but you know, it is. I guess sort of that analysis paralysis. Very glad we did it over time. Not so much in, in the moment. And so, did you did you confront the seller when it looked like? They were off by $120,000 in profit. So I would start the emails, uh, you know, in preparation for this podcast, I went back and searched like my emails with the broker, (laughs) you know, and there's this one and I'm like going to the broker. It's like, it's like month six. And I'm saying, I can't, I can't get a hold of this person. They're off the reservation. Like this person is not responding to emails. They're not responding to phone calls the whole time. I'm still saying, please. And thank you. When I send my, my check you know, this $8,000 every quarter, whatever it was. Um, and it's just like baffling me. Why is this person not getting back? But I, I didn't want to create a lot of friction because I just, I, I kind of need, we needed her help. Yeah. Just eventually was not available. So I started getting, you know, a little angry and my phone call was to my lawyer to say, which I didn't really have a lawyer at that point. It's like, you got to find somebody. Right. So (laughs) I found somebody and (laughs) Your new lawyer. <laughs> yeah, my new lawyer. This is my guy. Get ready. Yeah. Um, he's actually really good. I still use him. But we, you know, he just, this guy's like very blunt. He listened to my whole story. He's constantly cutting me off. And then he's just like, all right, what do you want to do? You want to, you want to go after her? You want to go after her and make her take the business back? And I was like, no, no, I don't <laughs> want to do that. I'm like, well, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I don't want to do that, but I just want to get something. He's like, Either you go all the way, take her to court, try to get your money back and give her this business back, or we have nothing to talk about. Because, oh, okay. Well, right. And I mean, in the end, you know, to us, it was everything we had. It's all, it was like almost all of our network. I mean, we had a house and stuff, but uh, we were all in. You know, it doesn't sound like a lot of money, but we were all in. So for me to go and sue and just like in the dreams, like, nah, man, we're not quitters. Like, we're going to, we're going to keep going. We're going to figure this out. Um, I just, I just team, want her to call me back. I just want the seller yeah. to call me back. That's what I want. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just trying to say, Hey, what's going on? You said it, this person brought in this and like, where's it at? Yeah. Um, so anyway, we, we looked and like I said, this, this is, you know, it's been a long time, but I'll say around month five, month six. Um, you know, I talked to my wife, she's, she's the professional, she's in the industry. What do we have here that's valuable mm-hmm. and what we have that's valuable is the contracts with the insurance companies. So when you're in this space, you can either go cash, right? You can have a bunch of clinicians that um, go out and market, they get on Yelp and they maybe send flyers or however they acquire their customer and then Mm -hmm. they take cash. And then you have another side where they take insurance. Mm -hmm. And the way it works in medicine, if you ever try to go to your doctor or your dentist, like there's always a wait. They can very rarely get you in the next day. Like this is maybe a month out, maybe three weeks, right? So what we had was those insurance contracts would allow, which allowed you to sort of turn the dial on um, so, you know, demand. So that was your demand dial. And so the insurance companies just, you were in, 
like, like when I go looking for a healthcare provider from my, on my insurance company's website, you know, I look in my local zip code, I find somebody with good reviews and I call them up. And so you're kind of being public, um, marketed to the end consumer of the insurance companies. And so they're, they're just finding you that way. So you don't really have to do any proactive marketing. No. And we did some marketing. We learned over time, it's much more efficient just to go where the need is, you know, partner with Blue Cross Blue Shield, Kaiser, whoever it is, and just figure out what neighborhoods they need you in and just hire and supply them that way. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. So that's what we had. That was, that was the power here. And I say the power because, you know, I'm sure someone can read a book and they can go out and a single clinician, they can get a contract. That's not hard, but to get a group contract is actually fairly difficult in this market because it's so saturated. You know, we're talking Los Angeles. Um, so that that was the value. It was, you know, taking that and then figuring it out and expanding it. So okay. we knew we knew what we had to do, but those were big words. That's big talk. In the meantime, I need two thousand dollars so I can go deposit it and make <laughs> payroll. So that's where we were. And so, you know, so Neil, you're 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 feeling like you've got some value in the business, and you're feeling like if you can grow it, it can become profitable. But you're still at a point even with this value, these, these insurance contracts and relationships, it's still not very profitable or profitable at all. So you're banking on being able to grow it to make it profitable? Well, we had, we had a margin problem. So, mm-hmm. you know, we could, we, we were not profitable on our own, but you had this driver of the bus being my wife that could see clinicians. So she was able to keep it, you know, sort of keep it breathing, keep it alive that way. Um, but we had a margin problem. So the issue was, well, let's grow, let's grow, let's grow. Well, wait a minute. Growing is not going to help. It's just going to, instead of $2,000 payroll, we're going to need $3,000. So we have to fix the margins. And what does that mean in this world? It means we have to change the pay. That's our lever. We had one location. So you had rent and the fixed expenses there. You know, you're not going to save your way to greatness. There's only so many things you can turn off. Yep. Um, yep. So you need to kind of grow to greatness, but you don't just want to grow if the margins aren't right. So you got to fix, you know, I call this the base. You got to fix that first. But we had just gone in and give the, given a speech how we're not going to change anything. So, so it's like, oh man, what do you do? Well, you had to make the hard decision. That's what we're going to have to do is make a change. So we had spreadsheets going on. And well, what if we go, you know, remember they're, they're generally everyone's at 70 a few higher, but everyone's at 70%. So we said, okay, what if we go to 68? Well, what if we go to 65? And ultimately we said, we have to rip the mandate off. We have to go to 60. Like this is where it needs to be. Or this is just, you know, we're just going to half halfway, you know, execute the plan here. If yeah. we uh, only go to 65. Yeah. So we, we had that mandatory meeting. It was on a Saturday, called everybody in and it was tough. It was tough, but we, um, you know, we went in, we gathered everybody and within you know, 10 seconds, we told them, we said, we've got some, some d- possibly disturbing news for you, but then we're going to tell you, you know, where we're going to go from here. So as of right now, the pay plan that you're currently on is no longer available. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was like that direct, we had to do it. You saw the faces drop. I mean, it was all the emotions, the the chatter was going on. And then. And Neil, yeah. just some of these people are going from 70 to 60, but some people are like that one or two high, high volume therapist or clinician are going from 80% to 60. So they're seeing. Yes. So yeah. we knew we were probably, you know, we just going to lose them. We're probably going to lose some people. Yeah. And ultimately we did, we lost, um, 
you know, it was a full cultural flush out. I mean, I want to say like 90% left. And amazingly, the ones that stayed are like, they're still there today. Mm. It's great. It's great eight years later. So it's back to that. You know, I don't, I don't want to put it all on them. Like if you were to find them today, they might really have some disagreements. Like, well, I was just working there. What do you mean? But, um, you know, anybody who gets their pay cut by a new owner is just going to feel like it's not fair. It's just human nature. So it was the right thing. Let them go. We're not angry about it. We get it. Go somewhere else, thrive, do your thing. Hopefully it works out. Um, So we didn't hold any regrets. It's just a decision we had to make. So we did it. And, you know, you immediately saw the change. Immediately saw the change. You could immediately make payroll. So that was yeah. The, yeah. So that worked out. So you lose some of the some of the people, but uh, you understand no harm, no foul, or no hard feelings, I should say. And now you you know you fix your margin problem, and you're what at what like eight eight clinicians left, seven or eight clinicians, and this is six or seven months into your ownership. Well, they they all left, but they didn't leave immediately, right? So this is another thing. You know, I think we think as you know, entrepreneurs were so scared of all the employees leaving. And when you acquire a business, especially if you make a change, but the reality is these people need their paycheck. They, they're not, most of them are not independently wealthy. They can't make a change immediately. We did lose uh, one or two pretty quickly, like within a month, but the rest took, I mean, some of them, they stayed over a year, mm-hmm. you know, they eventually funneled out, but they, you know, they, they had their own process. They had to come to it. Um, mm-hmm. They did. It wasn't just like that day they left. So mm-hmm. it did take a while. Um, and we threw an olive branch, you know, for us, we, we, it wasn't just, Hey, we're going to lower this so that we can make money and all get richer. That was not the talk. It's like, we want to grow. We want to create more opportunities for people and we want to have a better facility. So one of the things we did, I mean, immediately, like within the next few weeks is it, it's a small thing, but it was a gesture. It's, you know, we gutted the, um, the waiting room and redeck, you know, we had an interior designer, we redecorated, we painted new blinds, you know, just to show them like going forward, this is going to be a, a different organization. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be high quality. Yeah. yeah. Neil. So are we past the point where you guys think about reselling the business? We talked about your lawyer saying, do you want to give the business back or, or force her to take it back, the seller to take it back. But you, you had also told me that there were moments where you were eyeing Craigslist and like, should we just put this thing on Craigslist? Sell it, sell yeah. it to the world. So I'll, I'll have to go back a little bit on that. That was around the pay, the pay change, which was incredibly, you know, here we are six months after ownership, you know, our family, you know, just because the way they romanticize about it, everybody thinks like, oh, they're rich now and they've got all this money. And, you know, meanwhile, we're like, we're, we're like failing here. Like, this is hard. And uh, at one point, yeah, we're out back in the, we had this like detached garage because we had family over. So it was like, we have to, we have to go talk. We need to go discuss this. And it was around payroll and things. It's just like, we can't do this again. And, uh, and yeah, then it came like, what if we just, let's just put on Craigslist. Let's just put on Craigslist 50 grand and be done with it. And that was that, I think that was part of that healing process of getting to where, nope, we're going to move forward and we're going to go. And, you know, that moment, I don't know if that was the exact moment, but me and my wife have for years learned um, from that event, especially working together as entrepreneurs. Um, if one of us gets low, the other one has to stay up. We can't go into that mindset together. And then it's going to flip. The other one's going to go down and then the other one has to stay up. Like you just have to bring each other back up. It's sort of that, you know, like you're running a race and somebody starts walking and then, oh, I'll walk with you. No, no. 
I'm going to help yeah. you. We're going to push you. We're going to keep yeah. going. So we did that. Um, no planning to do it, but we just did. And that was that, you know, I call it the Craigslist moment. That's <laughs> no, we're not going to sell it. We're going to go in there. And we're going to make the change. Mm-hmm. We're just going to do it. Mm-hmm. So that was, That's cool. that was, I think where you heard about me because I put that on a tweet and uh, yeah. But it's cool. It's like when, when you, when you face kind of giving up for lack of a better phrase yeah. and you choose not to give up, it something shifts in your mind where you're like, not only if I'm not giving up, I'm going to give this 110%. I'm going to make this work. And it's like, it, you came out of that flirtation with giving up way, way more committed to the business. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we still didn't have all the answers then, yeah. but we knew we're going to find them. And this is one step we're going to take. It's going to be the pay. It's not going to solve everything. We're going to do this now. And then we're going to check again. And then we're going to check again. And then, you know, that brought us to where, you know, we've sort of plugged the hole. So we're sustaining, still not thriving, but sustaining. So now we get into, you know, what I'll call chapter two, which is growth mode. Mm-hmm. Um, and for us, again, big step. We had a six, we had a, a six office facility. So mm-hmm. we're going to go grow. And, um, that first location we did, we expanded by four rooms. So now we went like clear across town, four rooms. Yeah, we're big, we're hardcore, right? <laughs> and, and we did it, we scaled very quickly. I mean, like two months, everybody's full. It's like, wow, okay, that was good. Revenues are going up, you know, it's that kind of revenues is vanity, vanity profits are sanity. Mm-hmm. Um, the profits still weren't high. They were just like, just making it, just barely making it. but that's when I got into my, my mode of, you know, forecasting, I'm looking at the budget out the next 12 months and I can see like, oh, man, this thing is so close. Like we're going to get there. We're going to get there. We're at, you know, 1.2 million, 1.4 million. Oh, we're so close. And then finally we grew it to 2 million, $2 million uh, in, in annual revenue. And that and was what year, the- what year are we in now, Neil, you started yeah. 2012. What year is it that you get to 2 million? Yeah. So we're at 2 million year six. That's okay. how long this took okay. And what was so, revenue when you acquired it? I know what the plain profits was, but what were revenues? Yeah. Day, day once, uh, when we acquired it, it was based on 615,000 in revenue. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And then, and then that went down, we were in the low fives and that was our only loss. Uh, as far as revenue was that first year where we went down 50. And then since then, you know, as we go to the end of the story here, we grew 20 plus percent every single year, some years as high as 56%. And this was when you were including those years where you were just growing by, you know, acquire, incrementally with the additional four unit office and, you know, the, the small offices, were you also seeing that really good growth or was that big growth only unlocked once you, you did the thing with the, the buyer's agent? Yeah. So we did unlock, the, the unlocked growth came after the 2 million. So it was the first two, ah. it took us six years small offices, save up for the down payment, save up for the furniture, you know, do some of the painting and the legwork ourselves, just that, that grind. And then that was a 2 million, but it still wasn't enough. It still wasn't like, we need to take a a risk here. And, you know, I was a little more cautious at the time. Oh, let's get a small unit. Four units is enough. And, you know, my wife was a little more, she wanted to push it. No, let's get eight units. Let's, let's get seven units. So then our next location, we went, uh, seven units. And so we thought we were big then. Right. And same thing. We grew it really fast. She grew it, um, probably within six months, she had everybody full and now 
we're growing. So we go from two to you know whatever was next. Um, actually, 2.8 million is what we eventually hit. And then we really started unlocking the growth. And I'll give you the recipe that we did. Mm-hmm. We, I was, uh, I saw a commercial one day, and it was for a, t- it was a tenant only uh, brokerage. So they represented mm-hmm. people going into office spaces and negotiating leases. It was called Hughes Marino. Mm-hmm. So I called these folks up. We did a meeting, and it was you know very similar to what the commercial said. They were a huge firm all throughout the United States, and they were on the side of us, of the tenants. Um, so we decided, all right, let's give them a shot. And right away, these guys performed. I mean, they're getting us. We did a location. The first one, it was a $400,000 build out, uh, 10 months of free rent, and all of this you know, on the landlord. And we just thought, this is amazing. How is this possible? Like we've been negotiating ourselves yeah. Yeah. one month. And one time I got three months, I thought I was you know, a hardcore negotiator. And now- So, so what, 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 what were they doing? How, yeah, was there a secret to it or were they just better negotiators because that's all they did all day long? I think it's also notifying or looking at who owns the building, I mean, going mm-hmm. deeper, right? So mm-hmm. we were looking, we were trapped in this world of small buildings. So it was kind of a mom and pop owner. So you had a guy that maybe owned the building 15 years, you're going in, he's not trying to do anything. He's not trying to spend $100,000 on a build out. He's just trying, he'll give you a decent amount for the, for the lease and it's on you. But when you get into these bigger class A buildings, you know, these mm-hmm. eight plus story buildings, downtown buildings, these are owned by large real estate, you know, syndication investors. So they're coming in, they're essentially, they're doing like a value add where they, uh, lease up the entire building, improve it. And then you know, they've got a five-year timeline. Then they're going to flip it. They're going to sell it. So for them to spend, because I, I had to do this research. I was the same way. Why would they do this? So for them, that's why they would spend the 400 grand. They're okay with it because they're going to make it up um, with the increased NOI. And then they're going to be able to sell their building for a lot more in the end. And, you know, sure enough. So they're just incentivized to fill the building as quickly as possible because they really unlock their value when they can flip a full building, a fully rented building. Yeah. And in fact, uh, not only that, they knew by giving us this build out, they were going to get above their current market rent. So I used to say if it was like, I don't remember the numbers, but if it was 225 a square foot per month, suddenly we come in, we're getting this immaculate build out. And you know they can push the rent. They can go to mm-hmm. seventy-five because that's the new market rate. So that was beneficial to them because the way commercial leases work, there's an escalator on it. So if you sign a six, seven-year lease, I mean it's a lot higher um, towards the end. Mm-hmm. And this was this was a bi- this was a big step. I, I I skipped this part, but we went from leases that were four thousand, five thousand, six thousand, and this one was suddenly twenty thousand. Twenty thousand a month. Um, so getting ten months of free rent was pretty pretty exceptional. And uh, and then there's another component to that we can hit, which is you know whenever you get a six thousand, okay, great, it's free free rent, but now it's six thousand square feet. That's a lot of furniture. That's a lot of computers. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. So <laughs> then we found this little magic thing called um, the equipment lease. Mm-hmm. So there's companies out there, Balboa. Uh, I mean, there's a ton of infused type in equipment lease for business okay. and they will, they will come in and basically fund your purchase of, for us, it was the furniture 
and it was the computer. So we weren't, we were no longer buying cheap furniture. My wife was going to West Elm. I mean, this was, this is a lot. This is like an $80,000 furniture expense, which yeah. sounds crazy, even as I say it today. But I mean, these are therapist offices, you know, they're like little living rooms. Yeah. Right? There's no, yeah. there's no 15 of these in a space. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and they look 15 nice. little living rooms that you have to make catalog worthy. Oh, we got to have the lamp. Like, do we have to have another lamp? Like, <laughs> they have lights. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They had to have the lamp. So, uh, so we did, we did that with the equipment leases and that was a big move. I mean, that's. And really how, how does the equipment lease work, Neil? Just real quick. Yeah. So you, so the simplest is we go to Apple, um, we're a business buyer at Apple. So they, you negotiate what you're going to buy. Let's call it uh, $70,000 of computers. Cause you're buying 20 MacBooks mm-hmm. or whatever that is. And then, but we don't pay for it. We, you know, we sort of like send all that off to the um, equipment lease company. Mm-hmm. That we've already pre-negotiated this, and they wire the money to Apple. Mm-hmm. So they wire the money to Apple. Apple hands us the stuff or delivers us the stuff, and then we start getting a monthly bill. So it's like eight hundred a month, eight hundred a month, eight hundred a month, and it's you know you could do four years, five years, whatever it is. We like to match computers. We did less, but uh, furniture we like to match it to the lease term. So it was a seven-year lease. We do a seven-year operating lease, and uh, you know they tack on an interest rate. Uh, six, seven, eight percent, which you know, this is allowing you to get into business. So it's almost like the interest rate is irrelevant, even if it was 12 percent. You know, if I can cash flow way above that without spending that money on capex, you know, I'm, I'm going to use the financing. So, between the equipment so- leases and the tenant or the uh, landlord assistance, then we realize we have unlocked a secret here. Yeah, we can expand faster at the same time, right? So then we did a second fifteen-unit place, then a third fifteen-unit place, and now we're, now we're at. I wrote it down. So now we went from the two million. So again, six years, two million. Yeah. Suddenly we hit two point eight, four point four. The next year six. was two point eight. The year after that was four point four. Three years after the two million is six point. Yeah, six six ish, and that's when we that's when we exited. That's when you exited. When exited. So yeah. Neil, the, the, you're so just so we understand the st- basic structure of the business. It was essentially, um, you know, the clinicians and a margin on top of the clinicians. So paying the clinicians, obviously, and then the rent, and then the furnishing, the the, the build out and the furnishing of of the locations. Those are kind of the big chunks of the business, and. For those first six years growing to two million, you would there was kind of you weren't doing any real financing of the build out and the furnishing, uh, and you were all the rent that you were going to pay. You needed to be able to cash flow that rent immediately or have enough in reserves to be able to pay for a new location, even though the therapy the clinicians didn't have enough, you know, weren't full yet, um, right. but you needed to pay for it. And so once you kind of flipped that and you could finance all of that, that was just a dramatic change because you could basically open a new location and be cash flowing. I mean, you just needed to fill the, the clinicians a little bit, like some smaller percentage of what you needed to do before. And you were cash flowing that new location. You were cash flow positive. Absolutely. So you give, you give up a little bit of, you know, maybe a point or so on, in the fixed um, cost, mm-hmm. but you didn't have, you know, I didn't have 300,000 to spend on furniture computers. I, I didn't have it. So yeah. the financing enabled it. 
So yeah. I mean, if I was super liquid, maybe the thing is like, oh no, it's a better move. Always pay cash and do it yourself. Okay, great. But the financing is what really propelled it. I mean, yeah. this is what this is what any you know company on Wall Street does. I mean, they they're using that debt to accelerate growth. And if, sure. when you kind of unlock that as a small business owner, it can be very powerful. I mean, this isn't just in our space. You can, if you own a HVAC company or plumbing, you know, it's a big endeavor. Hey, we're gonna how are we gonna get four vans and all these tools? Well, I would encourage you to take a look at the financing options because you could do it for a lot less than you think. And now you're up and running. You got four, four trucks, four techs, and you're go. And the other side of the equation, Neil, of course, is, is demand, which we touched on. Those insurance contracts were a good source of demand. But it sounds like the demand was just off the charts. Like you f- turn on a new location. And I think you said at some point, like within six months, your wife had filled everybody's calendar, filled everybody's um I don't, I don't know what the, you know, book yeah, of business calendar, or whatever, the calendar, I guess. Okay. I don't know what the word is in, the, in this space. Filled everybody's calendar. So there was just, that was never an issue. You just had, you could basically get as much business as you guys could support. Yeah. In the beginning, it was an issue when we thought we had to market and we had to, you know, send out a flyer and hire, hire a marketer to go door to door. And those things were helpful. And mm-hmm. I would still say, yeah, do that, do that outreach. But to do it faster is to find out where the insurance companies have need. So, you know, we were able to call one of our providers that had a lot of need. Again, this is Los Angeles, mental health demand is very strong. Um, so we call, where do you guys need us? Oh, well, we, you know, we really need something in the north part of LA. Oh, really? Like Pasadena? You know, <laughs> so you just sort of keep that relationship open and then we're looking at leases and then you, you call them one more time. It's a little bit of uh, trust. You call mm-hmm. them one more time. Hey, what about, what about this street? Is this, you think this will be good? And they say, yeah, we good. We can fill you right away. Boom. Sign a lease. Let's go. So there was nothing official, that, like a guarantee that anyone was going to send us this business. Yeah. But we, we sort of learned that that was our recipe. I'm sure there's many others. But, you know, for us, that worked. And it is unique that to have a business where the demand lever, you can just turn it because that's not, you know, I realize you can't do that everywhere. You can't just home improvement. Oh, let's just go. It doesn't always work. But uh, we found it was working. So we wanted to exploit that as much as possible. And, you know, there's a lot of people getting help now through our company. And we're proud of that. Yeah. And, you know, mental health demand is strong now. I mean, there's big pushes. You see commercials commercial sport. So we're improving as far as that goes. Neil, you, you just touched on the fact that you exited. Um, so we're going to, we're going to hear about that in a second, but before we do, um, could you have continued, like if you hadn't exited and you taken the offer to, to sell, could you have continued to grow at this like new, really, really accelerated rate? Yeah, we could have. So this is why it was tough. Um, you know, and once we got I don't know how they figured it out, but once we got to about 4 million in revenue, we started getting the calls. We started getting calls from the search funds, from the private equity. From search funds, from from individual uh, search funders? Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Family buyers, family, family uh, funds, I guess. Yeah. Family offices. CEO ready to go. Mm -hmm. Um, None of that was really appealing. And, but we learned like the parameters, we got to learn this language of what the business owners are looking for. You know, they start talking about how strong they need EBITDA. We're looking for 700,000 and we're looking for 4 million in revenue. So you sort of get the windows. And even when we started taking these calls, we were nowhere near that. 
So, you know, we're on a phone call and somebody's like, well, our minimum is 750. And we're like, oh yeah, yeah, 750. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> you know? but, but it was good. It was educational. I encourage anybody that's growing their business. When you get those calls, take them, just take the calls. Sure. You might be sure. on the other end one day and it might change your life. You know, when you finally learn what they need. So, and, and Neil, Neil, before you go, keep going with the story, what were your margins? Like what uh, of the overall net margin of the business when you were at, you know, 600 and then 1.4 and seven and yeah, so, all the so, way up. So um, it was roughly depending on the year between eight and 12%, let's say net. Okay. Um, which I've done some consulting around the country and you can definitely get higher. You know, you're not paying 20,000 in rent in Idaho. So, so that was, you know, rent was a rent's a thing for me. Cause it was like, it, it was about 8% of, you know, if you measure it to revenue, it was about 8% of the cost. So I always knew mm-hmm. like, let's keep it eight or below one facility could be nine, one could be seven. But uh, yeah, so the margins were depending on the year, eight to 12%. So you can sort of do the math on that. It started getting pretty good mm-hmm. and, and rapidly good too. I mean, it was, you know, suddenly you went from not making much money to now it's, you know, 20,000 a month, like in your bank account and you're writing a check and then it's 40 and it's 50, then it's 60 and it's 70, you know? So it was getting, it was getting fun. Uh, as far as that goes, we felt proud. Like we're really building something here that's in demand. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that's the part where we started taking the calls, you know, we got an offer, we didn't like it, it was very backward looking, right? This is what searchers want to do. They want to look at the last three years. Sure. Well, I just told you the story. The last three years are not remarkable. It's the next, man. It's the future. So <laughs> I want you to see the future. You want to look past. We got to get somewhere in between. So, you know, we ended up, we ended up discuss, talking again to another firm a year later. And we agreed on that. Let's look forward. Let's not look back. Let's pay me on a forward multiple, not a backward multiple. And that made all the difference. You know, we definitely sold too early. I'll tell you that. Um, even even but, though you were able to finagle some I mean, sort just, of forward-looking multiple, just as a philosophy, I mean every every rich guy sold too early. I mean that's sort of the thing. Like yes, if we stuck there, we could have made more. And this was an internal struggle um, with my wife. You know, she's put in all this work. I mean, she was the the driver of this. And wait, we're going to do so much more. We're going to do so much more. And could we have gotten more? Absolutely, we could have gotten more. But there comes a point where we decided we need to take some risk off the table. Let's, yeah. It doesn't mean we're done. I mean, I'm 45 years old. Like we can, we're going to bounce into something else. It's just like, let's pull these chips off now, sort of rest, dwell in a, for a moment and then accelerate and do something else. So that's ultimately what we did. And, you know, she still works there. That's, that's part of the deal. Typically when a private equity firm buys you, um, so she still works there. She's going at a hardcore. And yeah, of course, of course she sees the growth. Like they did exactly what they're going to do. They're going to come and put private equity money and grow it even faster. So they're doing you it. Know, We're did, okay with it. All the, the years your wife was working in the business, was she working just as a clinician alongside everybody else? Or was she more a, a manager role in a manager role? Oh yeah. Great question. So, you know, there became those moments in the beginning, like I said, that was sort of the superpower you go out and earn that saves a lot of uh, um, the law, basically losses. You plug the losses because you're seeing clinicians, but eventually we were getting so big that her seeing patients 
was no longer worth it from removing the focus on the business and growing it and onboarding new people. And you've got three people coming in this week and two people starting next week. She needed her focus there. So she's still, you know, she is not an entrepreneur at heart. She is a clinician at heart. So she mm -hmm. still sees patients, but I would say, you know, I don't know the number, maybe eight or 10 a week. She's not seeing 30, 35 a week. Um, so she focused on the business and then because she wanted to still saw patients, but yeah, it was, it was a lot of her sort of getting out of the way and letting other people see it. Mm -hmm. And Neil, just how was running a bit, how is running a business with your wife? Um, I thought we were a great team. I mean, there's definitely no breaks from it. So it wasn't like it came home and it was off, off our heads. We, we discussed it a lot, but I think we both got energy from it. I can't ever remember a conversation, um, you know, in the entire eight years where, you know, we said, I don't want to talk about business. Like we just didn't say that mm -hmm. it didn't consume our lives. We obviously got to a place where we were, we were comfortable, but it was good. We, we like to talk about the business. So we were, we were into it. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, if I was running a plumbing business on the side, maybe she's not so into it, but, but yeah. this one we were, if anything, you know, she was a little bit, um, more by herself in this than maybe I'm portraying because, you know, I'm out here on the outside. I'm, I'm focusing more on the CFO stuff, strategy, obviously all our discussions at night. I know everything's going on in the company, but very few people knew who I was. Ah. Yeah. Especially as we went into this growth mode, it just yeah. wasn't important. They didn't need to see me. So, you know, I was fine backing out of that. And, you know, in the meantime, I had my own thing that I was doing. So. Neil, I'm not sure you out. said, did you say when you stopped working your job and devoted full-time to this? No, I didn't. So I ended up, you know, she went full-time right away um, mm -hmm. for me because there wasn't enough money. We had to wait, but then eventually um, sort of a, this is like another discussion, but then I started another business, um, a solar installation business, which mm -hmm. I later sold quickly after about five years. Okay. So that was, we, you know, I shouldn't minimize it because that was incredibly stressful having two businesses at once. Um, for me, that one worked out great. I was able to exit that one a lot, you know, earlier, nowhere near, you know, it wasn't like this one, um, but it was enough to pay off all the debt and, you know, make me comfortable for a little while. But uh, ultimately it just wasn't the space I wanted to, wanted to stay in. So I wanted to help her and devote more time. We're, we're just about at time, Neil, but I want to ask you two more questions. So um, we've talked about, we've talked around the exit, but can you, can you give me any more color uh, on, on this exit to the private equity company and what that structure was like? If you can share any numbers, any ranges, that'd be awesome. Yeah, I can just give you a range. I'll say it's the, you know, all in, we're talking compensation plus stock, right? This is a pre-IPO stuff, you know, low, low eight figures. I'll just sort of leave it at that. But it was nice. low eight figures from a business that you almost dumped on Craigslist a few years earlier. Yes, or it sounds eight a lot years better. earlier. It sounds a lot better now. But yeah, there was a lot of a lot of stressful moments. But ultimately, yeah, I'm proud to have done that, and that's sort of why I wanted to come on here today. I mean, you reached out to me, sort of a weird thing. I don't have anything to sell. I don't have a newsletter. You know, you can follow me on Twitter. You know, you can see me rumbling on about Tesla and small business and that stuff. But uh, <laughs> ultimately I just like, you know, I'm not shy about it to the sense I think it's, it can be inspirational. I definitely did not grow up with money and did not grow up with privilege and neither did my wife. So 
I think it's helpful that people can hear these stories and see that they actually can go and achieve something with, you know, basically the American dream. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a very inspirational story, Neil. And do you think that the, what you guys did could be kind of, for lack of a better word, copied or, or like made a playbook out of what you guys did, especially those two, the, the big two keys to unlocking growth, the, the furniture financing or equipment financing, and then the, the rent financing essentially, or rent negotiation. Um, and then could, you know, could somebody repeat what you've done and even, which by itself is already very impressive, but even in a less amount of time, less amount of time. So there's two issues there, the time and the equipment leases. So the time, absolutely. If we were to go do this today, I mean, we would basically skip to year six. We wouldn't take six years to figure it out. We've already, we've figured out the code. So yeah, I think we could do this a lot faster. Um, there's no reason to wait the six years. As far as the equipment leasing, that's something I've recommended, you know, doing the consulting work I'll do occasionally. I mean, it's a way to unlock, uh, just unlock growth. There's, you can finance it right away instead of giving away your precious capital. I mean, even if you do have money, things happen. We're in a pandemic still, I believe. So, <laughs> you know, anything can happen. Cash is nice to have in those times. And the marginal rates you're going to pay on the interest, even if it's as high as 10%, is really going to be unnoticeable from the growth that you can get. So I would say, you know, really any business that involves growth, not all businesses are growth, but the ones that involve physical expansion, equipment leases are key. And getting a strong um, broker that can negotiate these leases with these big bailouts. I think yeah. that's available throughout the country. It's not going to be advertised as available, but it is available. I mean, these are this is just a real estate deal. Yeah. This happens all around the world. Yeah. And Neil, talk to me just quickly on uh, just about the the mental health or group practice industry or space. Um, yeah, the specifics of it. it. Sounds like you weren't really in the business much. Your wife was doing that. But is there anything pros cons that that you can share there? I mean, you're helping people, so I imagine that would be one of the big pros of the business. Any anything else come to mind? Yeah, I mean, you've got people that come into this world. You know, they're not coming into it necessarily to make money. They're coming in to help people. Right. Right. So that's the people you're attracting, which I think is why we found early on this business structure, you know, the person who sold us, she wasn't malicious and what she was doing. It's just, she basically hired her friends. She mm. hired her friends. She gave her best friends the best rates and then it grew out of control and she mm -hmm. can handle it. Mm -hmm. um, as far as what we're doing, yes, it's happening through the United States. There's a, there's like a boom in mental health, I would say, or certainly a boom in like private equity getting involved. And you'll see this, it happens in different spaces and it doesn't last forever. I remember like about a decade ago, you saw private equity coming in buying HVAC and plumbing companies mm -hmm. and they're buying a lot of them. And suddenly, you know, now there's these big firms that 500 trucks rolling around, mm -hmm. you know, in like Minnesota, which may, you know, makes no sense when you hear it. Um, and then that sort of dried up. And now I think that is happening in mental health. I think the runway is long because um, there's still a stigma where people will not get therapy. Yeah. So we're not like, to me, we're at the bottom of the S curve as far as how big the industry can be once there's normalization of it. Yeah. So yeah, I, I feel strong on the outlook of mental health. And um, what about buying a business, Neil? So you, you, it sounds like you'd also started one from scratch, the solar installation company, you started that from scratch. Yeah. So I you've did. now done both. You've started 
from scratch and you've done business acquisition, acquisition entrepreneurship. Any thoughts on acquisition entrepreneurship or for, for you and your wife's next act, if you'll do one or the other? Yeah. So for, for me personally, I'm no longer into the starting thing. I mean, if it's just like a small thing, maybe I'm going to start a consulting office. Can I keep it small if that's the focus? But for me, I would rather acquire. You can acquire, you know, sort of on second base. Even if you acquired a mediocre business, you've got the base. It doesn't have to be a home run. The home run's probably not going to be for sale. But you can get a decent business staffed with employees that has a location, a name, and a market, a proven market. And then you can tweak it. You can improve it. It's just like starting school. You don't have all the skills. You haven't graduated, but you can get in there. It's already running. So, it, I mean, it's amazing in that way versus starting and grinding and going through all that pain when it's just not necessary. It's sort of like a saying, well, I just want to pay cash for everything. I don't want to finance. Yeah. You know, the business is like, oh, I'm just going to finance. There's a little more cost to it, but yeah. you know, I get so far ahead. So I'm huge on that. And you know, wrapping back to the beginning, I'm a big fan of buy, buy, sell, or just listed businesses. There may be a day where that's no longer that no longer does it for me. But it's sort of like real estate. I like things that are for sale. It's just easier. Yes, I might not be getting the best deal. I don't know. I almost feel like I am because I I frequently see businesses on biz by sell that are one to three to four times earnings. I mean, if someone cold calls me on my profitable business, you're not getting it for four times earnings. It's not mm-hmm. going to happen ever unless I <laughs> want out. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. Something for sale. You've got a motivated buyer and a price to start from. Yeah. Cool. Well, let's leave it there, Neil. This was a great, it's really a remarkable story. Um, where you guys were so desperate in those first six to 12 months. And then you, you were tempted to quit. You didn't, you pushed through you grinded for about six years at year six, you have a couple of epiphanies and then it's just, I hate to, I hate the phrase, but then you kind of rocket shipped from there for the next yeah. few years. Um, right. And then, and then just real quick to say, I don't think you said this, you sold to this private equity company and who then went public like six months right. later, 12 months later, and you had stock as part of your your deal. So you enjoyed the fruits of a public offering as well as, you know, that's traditional right. you get that second bite. We call it the second bite of the apple. And that's, yeah. uh, you know, that's the one you want. <laughs> well, cool. Congratulations, Neil. Thanks for sharing the story with everybody. Um, how could people reach you if they have any questions or if they need some help, some some of your consulting advice? Yeah, sure, Will. So, I mean, you can reach me on LinkedIn, just search Neil Saxon, or on Twitter. Like I said, nothing to sell there for newsletters, but I'm at, at Neil Said What, if you just want to go back and forth <laughs> and shoot it. And, um, you know, always willing to help. Good deal. Thanks a lot, Neil. All right. Thanks for having me on, Will. 